raised from the dead. One of the miracles I threw out, I said, you know, I know it might be strange, but I would have liked to have sort of been there in the middle of the night in that boat out on the Sea of Galilee and see Jesus walking on the water and then see Peter's event of walking water. How would I have responded? But uh, maybe you can have that as lunchtime conversation. Of all the miracles that are in the Bible, which one would you like to have eyewitnessed the most? But one of the things I think I might like to have eyewitnessed the most isn't necessarily a miracle. It was when Jesus inaugurated and began his ministry. I would like to have seen the reactions of the people when Jesus would stand before them and declare the beginning of a new day. And when Jesus would stand before them and declare that he was the Messiah of which scripture had spoken. We have this recorded in Luke chapter 4. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everybody passed by. Everyone praised him who passed by. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. So it's like his hometown, Nazareth. All of you have a hometown? Go back and see some people, maybe you know, that kind of thing. Well, that was his hometown, was Nazareth. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, which was the only kind of church buildings really in that day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. <clears throat> Can you picture him unrolling the scroll? There's Jesus, his little hometown church. Oh, look, it's little Jesus. Remember when he was hanging out with Joseph at the shop? Now he's young adulthood, right? Jesus is 30 years old. He's beginning his ministry. He unrolls this scroll, the scroll of the ancient prophet Isaiah. He turns to Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down in the front row, well, it doesn't say front row, <laughs> the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, Today, Scripture is fulfilled in your midst. I'd like to have been there. What do you think the eyes of that congregation would have done? Buggy eyes. Did, did he just say what he said? Did he just say what I thought he said? Did he just say that he was the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy? Are, are you kidding me? Now, at first, it says here in Luke that they were taken back and many praises. But then he began telling them, you know what? The hometown boy isn't accepted in his hometown. And it started to move towards a real negative attitude towards Jesus. In fact, they pushed him out of the synagogue, took him to a cliff that was on the edge of the town because they wanted to do way with him that early in some of the inaugural moments of his ministry and Jesus with the power and the authority given from on high because he was God himself just merely walked back through the crowd I don't know about you 
Miracles have been pretty cool. But more than the miracles, I'm fascinated by how Jesus took control of the agenda of that culture, of the agenda of the Jewish religion, and he positioned himself as the Messiah, God himself, come in the flesh to set the world free. And when he pulled out that Isaiah passage, he pulled out that Isaiah passage, he, he declared freedom. He declared freedom for people who are in bondage to a lot of rituals and rules. If I was to ask you what comes to your mind when you hear the word Christian, would you say the word freedom? Or would you say some other word? Maybe not a good word. Judgmental. Legalistic. Narrow-minded. Jesus stood up and he said, I've come to set people free. This series we're in is called Guardrails. And at this pivot middle point of the series, I'm very mindful that such a series could seem restrictive. It's not restrictive for the sake of taking away your pleasure or to taking away who God made you to be. But any guardrails that we're called to have are the purpose for the purpose of maintaining and aiding our freedom that Christ came to bring. But if we do not have guardrails, we will find ourselves in some dangerous places. We've said in these weeks that guardrails are a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. The guardrails are there to direct and to protect as we're out on the highway. That guardrails are placed inside the safety zone so that we don't end up in a danger zone. The guardrails aren't in the danger zone because there's a lot of danger and a lot of destruction that happen, but they're inside the safety zone because they're there to help keep you away from impending disaster. And they're designed to minimize any damage that may come. So this concept of having guardrails uh, as it relates to vehicles is for your freedom, for your protection, so that you can do well on the highway. I don't know what's on your bucket list in life, but one of the things on my bucket list in life is to drive the Autobahn in Germany. Wouldn't that be fun? Now, there's some speed limits there. There's a sort of restricted speed limits, but there's a large portion of the Autobahn in German, Autobahns in Germany that, that they have a suggested kind of speed limit, but they don't watch it. Friends, I like to drive. Not fast. I just like to drive free. And I like to enjoy an uncluttered highway, which doesn't happen as much in California <laughs> as it did in the Midwest for me. The highways, though, aren't the only places that need guardrails, as we've spoken. We all need guardrails in our life to maintain our freedom. 
And a guardrail is a standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience so that when we bump up against it, it's like, oh yeah, that's danger zone on the other side. I need to stay in the safe zone. I need to stay in this safe area of life because if I bump up against there, there's, there's going to be trouble on the other side. And so it becomes a matter of conscience, the things that, that we establish as guardrails. And so the point of a guardrail is to light up our consciousness before we hurt others and we hurt ourselves. And in this regards, we need guardrails in life, but guardrails aren't to restrict our freedom or go against what Jesus Christ came to do when he stood up and read the scroll to give liberty and freedom. But liberty and freedom, by its very nature, has to have some guidelines and some guardrails, if you will. Otherwise, we will end up hurting ourselves and hurting others. And we live in a culture that does not encourage guardrails. Our culture, at best, is content with little painted lines and say, well, you know, stay clear from over there. Well, you do. Hey, what's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. Everybody gets to do what they want. There's a license to do everything. And don't judge anybody else. Well, friends, this isn't any type of talk or series about being judgmental. But it is a discussion about having good judgment. To have good judgment, we need to stay in the safety zone areas of the highway set before us of our personal lives. And we need to stay clear from the danger zones, but to stay clear from the danger zone, it's important to have these guardrails, and guardrails are needed, barriers, if you will, to keep us from falling there, not mere painted lines or rumble strips. And yeah, they'll wake us up a little bit, a rumble strip does, but it's the guardrail if you've brushed up against them and go, oh man, that was bad, that was close. Back this week, I was driving, I was driving with my daughter, and, and, a, and a, a big earth truck pulled out in front on the highway. I glanced away to look at something, and all of a sudden, all the cars stop, and what happens? Oh, no! And so you, you wheel out to the left or the right side to make sure you don't do the rearing crash, right? As we're out on the highways and the byways of life, there's an opportunity for accidents at any time. Well, as you're out on the highways and the byways of your personal life, you need to give heed, you need to pay attention. Because God wants you to have a full, free, fast, and enjoyable ride in life. But there's restrictions, if you will, or caution areas that keep you in freedom. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, Jesus said. Because He, God, the Spirit, has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Mind if I get a little personal with you this morning? I have no idea who else here. Any of you oppressed? Any of you depressed? Any of you just weary? Any of you locked into a prison of your own guilt or your actions? Any of you blind? Blind to things that are around you that you need to be able to see? 
This morning, you have hope because Jesus said, I've come to bring that freedom, that sight, that liberation. But as Jesus comes and brings that to us, we have to yield our lives and turn it over to him. Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me my sin. I acknowledge what you did by dying on the cross, by being raised from the dead, the power over death itself, and I choose to follow you. And so when Jesus stood up and he began unrolling the scrolls in the different synagogues and proclaiming, he was calling out followers of him. Because as egocentric, no, he was God. And God created all of us. God created every single person he spoke to. Jesus himself, Scripture says, is the creator of all things. Can you imagine the creator standing before his creations, knowing sometimes the despicable conditions that they were in, sometimes broken, sometimes arrogant? And Jesus had compassion on them. And he says, I am here to be that Messiah who brings that freedom and that salvation, but you must choose to follow me. And so we choose to follow Jesus Christ. We cross over the line of indifference to faith to having faith. Every one of us in this room need to make that decision. That's the only decision that matters in the end from this side of heaven to the next is what have you done with my son? Did you receive him into your life as your Lord and your Savior? But many of us have done that. But we find ourselves even still today in an oppressed or an imprisoned or blind kind of condition. Why is that? Well, many a times, not always, it's because we've disregarded some of the guardrails that we've needed to have placed. When you place a child in a backyard with a fence, is the fence there for the purpose of ruining the child's fun? Or is the fence there for the purpose of protecting the child from harm? If you were to build a locomotive and you were to put the locomotive on a track, a railroad track, is that railroad track restricting the locomotive to have freedom to be a train? No. The locomotive can only be a train when it's on the tracks. A child can only play freely if there's protection around them. Parental protection, maybe you know, a fence, a wall, whatever it may be. Friends, as Christians, do not ever perceive those guidelines that God's Word gives to you as restrictive things to take away your freedom. They are merely guardrails to keep you on the highway that you can enjoy. But so many times I see individuals, we come to Christ, and I was this way early on, where it's like, okay, Jesus, come into my life. You know, but... I'm not giving you this area and that area of my life because I think I can do better with those. And then there's some things over here because I think you're out to kill my fun and take away my joy and, and my freedom. Somewhere in my mind, I thought that God was not there to bring liberty to me as a prisoner or sight to me as someone who was blind. I thought he was there to be sort of a lording over kind of dotting parent saying, nope, not there, not there, not there. Jesus is not that way, but he knows the human condition, the condition of sin. He knows our fallen culture that just merely has painted lines. And Lord knows what's happening today. Everything's up for grabs, even gender today. Crazy. 
Jesus says to you and I as a Christ follower today, you be mindful of the freedom and the guardrails you need because it'll be the protector of your freedom, not the restrictor of your freedom. So we need to know what God's word says. Galatians 5.1. Love the simple passage. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. What word comes to your mind when you hear the word Christian? Not free. To me, it's freedom. I trust to you that if you don't acknowledge that today, you can move towards an understanding of freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And then the Apostle Paul says, he says, stand firm then. He gives this exhortation to the Christ followers in the city of Galatia. Stand firm then in your freedom and don't lose your freedom, friends. Watch it. Watch the danger zones. Stay at the center of your lane on the highway of life. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. He goes on in Galatians 5 and he talks about choosing to live life in the spirit and not living according to the sinful nature. Very strong instructions to uh, Christ followers. But what I want to talk to you about today, just briefly, is this whole subject of freedom and how to stand firm in your freedom. How to stay in your lane of the highway of life and enjoy it. Because there's three primary categories that the Apostle Paul gave exhortation to relating to protecting our freedom. I call them just tests of freedom, testing our freedom. And these were picked up early on in my life when I, I sat down, I remember as a, a graduate student, and I began reading some old messages by a whole volume. I bought several volumes, it's about 12 volumes, I think, maybe in it, of G. Campbell Morgan sermons. G. Campbell Morgan was a great preacher, very biblical expositor preacher in, in London. And the very first message that was in the very first volume of G. Campbell Morgan's sermons, I remember reading it when I was out in New York going to graduate school. It talked about this subject. He titled it Limitations to Liberty. But for me, I've seen them as key guardrails that I must give heed to in my life if I want to stand firm in my freedom and not be bound again by any yoke of slavery. So I want to share these guardrails with you, these tests really, as you adventure out on the highway of your life as a believer or as someone who is seeking God this morning. To understand this, you need to understand the context for which he says what he's about to give related to guardrails. The Apostle Paul, he says in 1 Corinthians 3.21, So then, no more boasting about human leaders. Do you realize the culture that the Apostle Paul, who's picked to be the first primary missionary, the greatest missionary possible, I think, in uh, the days, and he was a Hebrew with Roman citizenship doing ministry in a Greek world. If you want to talk about a very skilled person or gifted person, it would be the Apostle Paul who God picked. 
You see, he understood all kinds of religious conceptions as a Hebrew. And Hebrews would sit and they'd contemplate depth as relate to spirituality and God. But if you were part of the Roman Empire, which was the government of that day, it was the city of Rome who would be, you know, like taking over the United States, be like L.A. taking over the United States. Rome took over the whole known world that time. So the Roman Empire was controlling things, including Israel, during the day of Jesus. But he was a Roman citizen, so he understood the vision for an empire. So he had grand thoughts related to uh, dynasties and things moving he ministered in the Greek world, traveling in all of his different journeys. And the Greeks were known as the intellectuals of the day. Knowledge was everything. He bridged these three worlds of the Hebrew, the Rome, Roman and the Greek. He had seen all things, but he did not allow those worlds to influence his faith in Christ. He took his faith in Christ and allowed it to influence those worlds. And so he didn't like the one-upmanship. Oh, I can't believe you believe that stuff, Paul. Or what do you mean? You know, here's a statue you know, to an unknown God, and you think you know the unknown God. All these kinds of things that he was wrestling with as he's in this culture. He saw many come to know Christ. Some of those who came to know Christ were followers of him was in the city of Corinth. We were referencing Corinth last week in our passage. Corinth, Greek city, under... Beneath the Roman Empire, there's a lot that was going on. But the Christians in Corinth had sort of got caught between two worlds. They were Christ followers, but yet they had all this clutter from their culture around them, and they were succumbing to it. And one of the things is like, well, maybe, maybe Christianity is a little myopic. Aren't you a little narrow-minded? And Paul was saying, no. The Christian is free, and the Christian has all things available to him because the Christian has the greatest knowledge, the Christian has the greatest depth of spirituality and understanding what true religion really is, and the Christian also is a part of a kingdom that far exceeds any earthly empire. And so he was trying to sort them as Christians that, that all things were theirs. It wasn't a restrictive faith they'd stepped into, but it was a liberating faith. And so he says, you know, there no more, no more boasting about political leaders, Probably is a word for us today there, huh? Because that's not where the hope is found. And whatever good ideas that are out there with any leader, God has that idea or something better. So he says, listen, do not get yourself into a myopic position of picking and choosing sides in this, this small world of, of, of human knowledge. Understand who you are as a God follower. Do not. Be boasting about human leaders. And it wasn't just human political leaders. It was leaders in the Christian circles. You know, hey, I, I like this pastor. I listen to him on the radio during the week. Or I used to go to this church, never found another church like that one. Whatever. It's like we get all caught up in personalities sometimes. And he says, no more of this. He says, all things are yours. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas. Now, each of these are three leaders. He names himself first, then there was Apollos, then there was Cephas. You know, these are you know, great pastors of the day, whatever it may be. And they all sort of had their own edge and their angle as they were Christ followers. He says, all of this, all is yours. 
You don't need to be picking and choosing sides or denominations, whatever it may be. If you are in Christ and God's kingdom, it's all yours. All things are yours. And then he goes on and says, or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. He takes the whole world, encompasses it. Hebrew, Roman, Greek, all things, God, from his perspective, you, if you are a Christ follower, it's all yours. You are free from this. You're not being called into some legalistic, rule-oriented, strict religious faith that sort of stills your joy and keeps you away from becoming everything God called you to be as a human being. That's a lie of Satan. It was a lie Satan spoke into my life for a long time. You don't want to go there, Carrie. You don't want to be sold out to Jesus. You sell out to Jesus, man. He's going to, he's going to take your life and you're going to end up becoming somebody you never dreamed of and you're not going to like it. Why? Where, where does that come from? It's an attack of the enemy. But Paul's coming to them and he's trying to get them opened up to understand that all things are theirs. And if you took that front part and then you skip down to the last part of verse 23, all things are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. So he put it in right order. You a Christ follower? Then you are of Christ. And Jesus, he was of God. All things, all things are yours. So maybe that's just the point of liberty, uh, good news that you need today. If you think the Christian faith is restrictive or constrictive, I encourage you to think again. Read again. The words of Jesus. Imagine Jesus unrolling that scroll and saying, I'm here to give sight, to set the prisoner free. I'm here to encourage those who are oppressed and depressed. Because there's life. And life is in his name. Why is the, one of the reasons we're called the Awakening Church? Because we want every person in this valley to be fully alive in Christ and to his mission. No greater cause. The Christ follower is granted freedom to all things in God's universe. Material, moral, and spiritual. Do not ever let anybody look down on you for your faith. You are the one who has been gifted and granted the greatest of all things. You've been granted all things. A totality is what the scriptural word actually means. A totality of all that God has. But I appreciate that. It's great to be on that highway, Carrie. Um, but you said something about guardrails. Something about staying in the middle of the lane. What's with that? Well, after Paul unpacks this at different places, and it's 20-some different times that he says all things in uh, the letter to the Corinthians, he says all things are lawful for me, but then he starts to go into some restriction issues. The all things are lawful, and I use, I seldom use the King James Version, but I just love how it's framed up with the certain kinds of words it translates there. All things are permissibles and some other translations, but all things are lawful means that, you know, it's an open autobahn kind of high, highway. All things are lawful for me. Lawful means being, literally means being free on a public highway. 
Isn't that cool? It's the opposite of being in prison. Any of you know anybody in prison right now? Any of you pray for some prisoners? I do. And there are certain days when my day is going bad. I think about my friends or people I minister to that are in prison. I think, well, they're restricted. I'm free. I can go get in my wife's little convertible and go out on the freeway and have a nice drive. They can't do that. So all things are lawful means that you as a Christian, you're not in a prison. You're able to get out on the public highway and have uh, a free drive. But he says when you're out there on the highway, be careful because there's some guardrails you need in place to keep your freedom. And so these are the three tests. The first is the test of progress. All things are lawful for me. But, oh, here's the but. Religion is going to take away my joy, take away my freedom. No, for the purpose of your freedom, keeps you safe. When's a train free to be trained? When it's on the tracks. When a child's free to be a child, is in a safe place. So, Christian, all things are lawful for you. But there's a test, three of them. The first is the test of progress. All things are not expedient. All things are not expedient. Now, expedient here uh, can have the tendency to, to deny the actual principle and just look at, you know, hey, what's price? What's the cheapest kind of thing? But expedient to me has to do with getting from point A to point B. I am not one that likes to take the drive from point A to point B by going by point A1, A2, A3, A4, right? You're Googling on your map. What's the direct route? Oh, it's one minute slower that way. It's two minutes slower this way. You do that? And it's like, oh, but then there's a fast track that puts it, you know, I get it. I don't like, I, when I go up to check out at a grocery store, I really don't go to a grocery store, but I go to check out at Costco or Sam's. What am I doing? I'm reading the lines and I'm reading the cashiers that are running the lines because I want to be expedient to get out of there. It's just the way I'm wired. Maybe you're wired that way, right? Maybe not. I understand. But my wife's like, what, what does it matter? I got things to do. I got places to go. I need to get from point A to point B. Well, God has plans and purposes for you in your life. And all things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. And so one of the guardrails really needs to be is, should I participate in that or not? Is that expedient for me to get from here to where God has me to go? Now, if you're a wonder and you don't care about going anywhere where God has you to go, then this principle probably doesn't apply to you, this test. But if you want to get to where God has for you to go and his plans and purposes for your life, then all things are, uh, all things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. It means as you're out on the pathway... There is a direct route, and sometimes you can go off on these tangents. Friends, in Southern California, there's an awful lot of things that are lawful to do with our time, right? But not all those things are expedient for us spiritually, for our family, whatever it may be. So we have to make choices, and our choices need to be aligned with what is God's calling in our life. Our freedom is given to pursue God's ultimate will and intentions as he assigns personally to each life. Guess what? There are certain things in my life that though they are lawful, they are not expedient, so then they become unlawful for me. For me, just to be frivolous with some of my time is not lawful for me. 
because I know God wants me to be disciplined in some of my time, whether it's reading and studying him or being able to serve him in some processes. And so you need to understand this, and it's true across this whole room today. Things are going to be true for you that are not true for someone else related to expediency, not truth issues. And so something that is lawful for one person to be doing with their life and their time may not be lawful for you. And what's lawful for you may not be lawful for them. So do not be imposing rules and restrictions on one another. What you need to do is, is you know, sort of horsepower up what's God calling me to do and then begin pursuing that and plan on getting there as quick as possible. I know this was true of schooling for me in different ways. It's like, okay, I got done with undergraduate. Really, I need to go on to graduate right away. God says, I need you to prep for this and that. I just felt it in his spirit. And so I had that calling from him to make those type of decisions. And there are certain things that happen with our finances or don't happen with our finances because it's not expedient to what God's calling us to do and serving his purposes. And there are certain things that happen with uh, relationships and other things that, that I'm just like, hey, that's cool, but I, I can't really participate in that direction. I have to be over here because I'm in this guideline, this guardrail inside of it. All things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. And I just simply ask you this morning, do you care? Do you care about getting from point A to point B with where God wants you to go? You may not. It may not be that important to you, and that's fine. I'm not here to speak against that. But friends, some of you have felt God's conviction that you need to be on a pathway, and you need to be getting there. But somewhere, you went on the other side of the guardrail, and you're messing around in a cul-de-sac or some other park, and you're like, what are you doing there? What are you doing there? One of the biggest things I ever got called out to in my life, some of you know who this individual is. His name is Ravi Zacharias. He was my professor in seminary. He was one of my primary mentors when I was a younger person. He's a powerful international apologist and evangelist. I remember having lunch with Ravi during one season of ministry in my life when I got really distracted on a lot of things. They were good things. Do you know the good things can be the distraction of the best things? It was in one of those seasons. He looked at me across the lunch table. I had my little son with me. He says, Carrie, why aren't you preaching anymore? Uh, well, I am sort of here and there. I'm sort of letting someone else do some other preaching, and I'm trying to start this other site and that kind of thing. We left that day. My son looked at me and goes, wow, Dad, you really got called out by your mentor. <laughs> it was a correction. Some of the ministry I was doing at that time was Okay. But it wasn't expedient to some of the primary callings God had put on my life. How about you? Do you care? What corrections do you need to make? Test number two is the test of authority. All things are lawful. For me, he says this in the same verse in 1 Corinthians 6, 12. But then he goes on and he says this. But I will not be brought under the power of any. You know what this means? That means some things that are really lawful for you to do. Watch out. Because you think you're the master over them, they're now becoming the master over you. You've now become a slave to something that you were free to participate in, but now it's driving you. And maybe it's a, a professional thing, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's, it's some type of investment. I don't know what it is, but you need to know the guardrail of protection of your freedom is that you shall not be mastered by anything. And so you need to take good stock of yourself. 
I will not be brought under the power of anything. Am I being brought under the power of this, this, uh, this responsibility, of, of this relationship, whatever it may be? I, I'm, not like, I'm not saying you chuck your responsibilities with relationships. We're going to get to that. Excuse me in a second. What I'm saying is be mindful of something that's pure and good, and now it's all-consuming. It was fine. It was, I was free to be able to be involved in the stock market and make trades and acquisitions and that kind of. But now I'm like, I just sort of consumed with being able to, to build up uh, resources. And, and my, I'm always checking. It's like, wait a second, where's, where's your life at? You don't always have to be glued to what's happening on the Dow. So it's those kinds of things that you need to give attention to because it can be subtle our freedom to use anything perishes when the thing we use becomes our master and we become its slave you might think you are free but if you were to evaluate your life you'd say wow am i a slave to that you've just crossed over the guardrail and it's just one of those subtle wisdom these are wisdom guardrails and they're for each of us to discern a few uh, chapters later, Paul comes back and actually uh, reiterates the things. But he's wanting us to remember that all things are yours, but you are of Christ. There is this order. And so he comes back and he, he says in 1 Corinthians 10, 23, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are expedient. Oh, he already said that a few chapters ago. Thank you very much. I got the, the test for progress down. And then you had the test for authority. Then he adds a third one. And I'm going to tell you this as we close. This is the hardest one for me. I don't really like this guardrail. <laughs> he says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are expedient. And then in this second passage in 1 Corinthians 10, 23, he adds this. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Number three is the test of relationships. I may be free to participate in something else, but I need to remember when I participate in that, I cannot make my friends stumble and fall. And for them, it may not be something they have freedom and permission to do. One of the earliest times in my life I can remember this was when I was sort of a youth director working with a youth pastor, and we were in a youth board meeting. We took some of our juniors and seniors in high school, and, and we were praying, and we had some intense prayer times. We were planning for the year ahead. It was a group of 12 of us. Some of those people are in ministry today, serving God, or in, in marketplace ministries and, and serving God with their gifts. And I remember the Spirit of God falling upon us in that room. And we had a couple other young adult volunteers that were leading with us. One in particular had come out of a very rough lifestyle, had come out of a lifestyle uh, where things like party rooms and stuff like that and certain actions, just it, it was just their past life. And we were just having a good old time meeting with God. We were underneath a boardroom table praying our hearts out, and God was really there, spirit in our midst. We got up, we went out, and we ate. And where the place we went ate at had a dance room next door. And the dancing was going on, and I tell you what, this is going to seem to some of you like that's very legalistic or restrictive, but it gives evidence of this whole principle to me. For us to get out there and have a good time on the dance floor was not a problem, but for this particular individual, and we understood this person's background, that life and what she had participated in, it was not permissible just for some freelance fun dancing to pop music. And we got back to the hotel room to have another meeting, and there was a whole disposition changed. And we're like, what's wrong? 
Well, we'd participated in something that was lawful and free for us, but it did not edify her, and we should have been sensitive to that in that moment. And we had to ask for forgiveness, and God worked and, and restored some things. But early on, I'm like, really? There's nothing wrong with that. Everything's lawful. Come on. Celebration times, come on. Now, I need to be mindful and supportive of what God's doing in the hearts of others around me. So the test of relationships, it may be lawful for you, but is it lawful when you're with that person in another place, or is it lawful in your actions towards them and what they're going through at that time? So those are your tests for freedom. Our freedom for advancement must contribute to building up others along their path of loving and serving Christ. This is one of the more challenging ones of the three for me. But I don't know which of these three are for you today. The test of progress, the test of authority, or the test of relationships. But I can guarantee you this. The adversary is seeking to do something to undermine the freedom that you have in Christ as a Christ follower. Be wise into staying in your lane on the right side of the guardrails. Don't go close to the danger zone. Those danger zones are defined by guardrails of consciousness. And those consciousness things just need to be, hey, it's lawful, but it's not expedient to me. I'm sorry, I need to realign my schedule this direction. Hey, it's lawful, I can do that. But you know, it has a tendency to start to overtake me. And I become a slave to that. All things are lawful. I'm ready to make it happen, but you know, I want to be sensitive to you as my neighbor and my sojourner in the faith. And I'll be cautious with my freedom for the sake of your freedom and your pursuit of loving and serving Christ. Will you pray with me? Lord, this morning, I don't know across this room who's wrestling with any elements of freedom in their own personal life. So many of these tests of freedom apply to what we do with our time, where we spend our engagements at on projects, who we're relating with or not relating with, who we need to change our pattern of lifestyle in order to become more aligned with your plans and purposes. But I pray across this room that you would bring liberty and freedom to the oppressed, to those who feel captive today and remind them of the tremendous joy and freedom they have in you. If they've never crossed that line of faith, Lord, I pray today maybe they would cross that line of faith. If they've crossed that line of faith, but they've lost their joy and their freedom, then I pray that you would speak wisdom to them in this week to where they need to get themselves back into a safe place for you to do an expedient work, to do an empowering work, and doing a work that edifies all that are around them. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you embrace us, that this is a journey, that's a relationship, that you're endeared to us. We thank you that you did not come to give us a religion. You came to give us a relationship, a relationship through Christ with the God of the universe and that all things are ours in Christ. Amen. As we close with this song, the ushers are going to come to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings as we give freely to him. Also, your Connect cards, you filled those out. If you want spiritual encouragement, I encourage you to do one of two things. There's a place to mark on your back of your Connect card. I'd like to know more about spiritual growth or maybe committing your life to Christ. 
Or if this morning, if you'd like someone to pray with you, maybe about something of freedom that you're wrestling with, uh, there's a prayer area over here. They actually move it to the back and put some couches up. It's a warmer area, I guess, to go to. Pray with someone today if you need prayer. We are here as a church to help you become fully alive in Christ and to his mission. And next Sunday, we get to hear about a much fuller mission, a global mission, by having Matt Clayson take us to the Middle East. God bless. Let's sing. You can close, Joe.